Well, we're going to take a break from our study in Revelation today to talk about 4th of July, significance. You know, you, we go through Revelation and it's, it's all judgment, 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 judgment. And sometimes you, if you, that's all you hear, that's all you think. And you kind of forget the other side of grace. So that's what we're going to kind of focus on this morning. And if you've been listening to the news and watching all the stuff that's on TV, you're hearing a lot of lately about the rights and the Constitution and all that stuff, right? And we're going to get there in a moment. But tomorrow we celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day. This is the day that the U.S. formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. And this document declared that the original 13 colonies were now free and independent states. All political connection between them and Great Britain, gone. We're no longer under the queen or under the king at that time. We are now our own entity. We're free from whatever bondage was over in England. The Declaration of Independence is the original founding document of the USA. This is the founding document of the church. Declaration is the, independent, the founding document of the USA. In fact, this document was the first time that we as a country were actually called the United States of America. So July 4th, 1776 is our nation's birthday. It's the date that we were set free from the law of Britain. Now, I graduated in high school in 76. And that was the, what was that year? If you remember, the bicentennial. And everything and anything was red, white, and blue that year. Our colors from school were blue and gold, but we had red and white, blue, everything for that year. We, we would go, my brother and I would go to the local fairs, like the York Fair and the Head County Fairs, and every prize that was out was red, white, and blue. Pillows and stuffed animals, everything was red, white, and blue because it was a big deal. Now in 2022, we celebrate 246 years of freedom. And that freedom seems to be getting less and less every year. The verses we read this morning, Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has really set us free. Make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And then the NIV version says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm them and don't let anyone or don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, the song we sang, No Longer Slaves, right? We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. The Bible says before you came to Christ, you were a slave to sin. In other words, when sin came your way, you had no choice but to do it. You didn't feel guilty about it. You just, you couldn't help yourself. And technically, we are no longer under the laws of the Old Testament. How many appreciate that? We're no longer up here sacrificing animals. Think, think about the, in the Old Testament when they had sacrifices and when David had his special sacrifices that said that they were, you couldn't count the number of animals that they killed for the sacrifices. What a mess. And Paul was saying in, in Galatians that God has given us a day that we have been freed from the Old Testament law of God. We have our spiritual independence day. Your spiritual independence day is the day you gave your life to Christ. Your spiritual birthday. How many can remember the day when you got saved? 
Have in your, I have it in my Bible. Let's see if I can find it. It's pretty beat up. I know it was in August of 86. Let me see. My wife wrote this down because she'd been praying for me for a while. Long time. Get all these paper clips out of my Bible. So my page isn't already torn. August 22nd, 1986. Spiritual birthday. The day I was freed from how I used to be. Now, the verse we read came from Galatians. And if you read in my Bible, it has little headings on it. The subtitle of that is Salvation by Grace. So let's look a little history of the book of Galatians. That's where that came from. The book of Galatians was written about 50 A.D. or 20 years after Jesus died. Galatia was the home to a lot of Jews as well as a number of Gentiles. And at the time, and I wrote down here the Gentiles were a fickle bunch, they vacillated between differing religions and would chase after whatever was new. Kind of like today, right? The gospel was making its way into Gentile society and more and more Gentiles were becoming believers. But they were becoming believers more than Jews were becoming believers. So the church in Ephesus was comprised mostly of Gentile believers with a few Jewish folks. And Paul had traveled to this church on his first and his third journey. If you, how many have Bibles, maps in the back of your Bibles, you can see the journeys that Paul made. And after preaching there and having a great response by the, the Gentiles in Galatia, he starts a church. And after a while, he, he gets the leadership up, he gets the church running, and he leaves, and he has that church running the way he was supposed to be run. And figuring they've had enough teaching, they can go on without him. That's how church plants happen. Usually someone comes in as a church planner, they plant the church, they're there for a number of years, and they move on to start the next church. And they raise up a pastor for that church. That's exactly what Paul did. He came in, planted the church, trained the leaders, and then took off figuring the leaders could run the church. However, as time went on, there were some Jewish folks in the town that were getting saved, and they were legalistic Jews. And they were coming into the church telling the Gentile Christians, okay, that's great you're saved, but here's a bunch of things you got to do in order to stay saved. Circumcision was one. He said they had to follow the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. And some Gentiles were beginning to wonder if they now had to keep this law. You know, they heard about the salvation by grace, but now the Jews are telling them you got to keep all these Old Testament laws to be Christian. And so Paul writes this letter. And the gist of the letter was addressing the fact that the Gentile believers were thinking that they had to keep up the Old Testament law in order to either stay saved or be saved. And Paul addresses that issue because the folks in the town were telling them, you have to do all these other things to be a Christian. How many think you gotta do a bunch of stuff to be a Christian? If you're not careful, it's easy to think that your, your position with God is based on your performance. And Paul addresses that issue with the church, and he says in Galatians 1, or 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus, was, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? 
Does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? A lot of times in this group, some of the Orthodox Jews were thinking that they couldn't eat with Gentiles. And they couldn't, they couldn't do that because that's what the Old Testament law said. And even Peter got caught up in that. Galatians 2 of 11. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In other words, the Jewish jokes. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. And so by that, and so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So the Gentile believers, they were loving that they were saved. The Jewish believers came in and said, no, you're, it's great, you're saved, you've got to do all these other things. In fact, you have to obey the law, and Peter's going to show you that you have to separate yourselves from the, the world. You have to separate yourself from the Gentile believers. You can't hang around them. You have to do all these things in order for God to approve of you. And Paul came in, and what's it say? He says, I opposed him to his face. You wonder if Christians argue? Paul opposed Peter to his face. Peter. And now people were beginning to believe that they had to come under the law to be a good Christian or to stay saved. Mankind has a need to think that we have to earn what we have. We as believers have to watch we don't get caught in that trap. It's easy to think that we earn our favor with God by how we live and what we do. The fact that you think that God loves you more than when you're good and less when you aren't good. That's salvation by works. If you, if you think God loves you when you're being a good Christian, more than he loves you when you're being a bad Christian. That's the Old Testament law. And the only reason God lets you in or allows you to stay is because you keep a set of rules. Don't we love to have rules? So Paul got down and writes this book to the church in Galatia because they thought they had to do all these things in order to keep God's approval. Martin Luther called this the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It was his favorite book. And Paul wrote this book to answer all those questions. Chapter 1, Paul says that he heard about their beginning to follow the Old Testament law in order to be right. Verse 6 says, I am so astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he says, what they're being taught is not truth, but a false gospel. If they're saying that you have to not only believe, but you have to perform, that's a false gospel. It's not a partial gospel. It's a false gospel. Because if you have to do anything other than believe, then Jesus' death was not sufficient for you. I told this to the teens this morning. When you're born as a baby in the United States, what did you do to gain your citizenship here? Nothing, right? You're here because God's grace allowed you to be born here. And you are a Christian because God's grace drew you and applied it to you. Other than believing it, not here, but here, you did nothing to earn citizenship in God's heaven. 
And if you think you have to do that in order to stay saved, that still nullifies what Christ did for you. Paul later defends his position as an apostle since those who were teaching the word said that Paul was not a true apostle. And he continues on defending this previous teaching about being right with God through faith and Christ alone. Paul's main concern for this church and as well as us today, that if we are to believe that the Old Testament law or the things that we do now actually gain favor with God, then Jesus' death would have meant nothing because we could attain it by ourselves. If it's our good works, it's our consistently living a Christian life that makes God keep us, then we don't have salvation. We think we can get in because of what we do. And again, that meant Jesus' death was not enough. Galatians 2.21 says, I, did not, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Tomorrow's Independence Day. What did you or I do to make Independence Day a reality? Nothing. We weren't here, right? We merely accept the fact that others were there, that others signed the document, because of what they did, we're free today. We don't have to do anything to gain citizenship. We don't have to work to gain citizenship. We have it because we're born here. Others made it possible for us to be here. We have, we have freedom from the law of British because of other people. Nothing we do today, no matter how good or bad we are, can change the fact that we no longer are under British rule. But we're seeing in society today that a desire to rewrite the Constitution or nullify the Constitution or read things into it that aren't true. People want to change the Constitution. They don't like it. Well, we have a method for doing that. And we've done it a few times. But they know they can't change it by using that method, so they just want to change it. The same thing also is happening with the Bible. People wanna rewrite it, they wanna nullify it, or they wanna read things into it that aren't true. Be careful who you listen to. Be very careful who you listen to. Paul goes on to talk about justification. Paul is telling the Galatians and each one of us that if you're free from having to do things in order to be right with God, then you're free from doing things to have to con continue to be right with God. Born in the USA gives you rights. You don't earn them as you get older other than the minor thing. But the minors still have a gift of life, right? The right to life. You don't get more rights the older you get. You have rights the minute you're born. Like I said, minors are a little bit different issue, but for the most part, you don't earn them the older you get. The Constitution says our rights are what? Inalienable, which means no person gave them to you. You have them simply because you're alive. You have the right to life, not because someone gave it to you, because you're alive. You have it because you're intrinsically alive. Because if men give them to you, 
men can take them away from you. Our founders made sure that they say that pretty plainly. For Christians, justification means that we are free from having to do things to stay right with God. And we don't have to keep doing things in order for God to love us. A lot of us, because we're human, we react in different ways. I'll like you as long as you're nice to me. You're not not nice to me, I'm not going to like you. God is not that way. God loves you regardless of what you do. Now, I told the kids this, God may not like what you do, but he still loves you anyways. Parents, do you love everything your children do? No. But you love them regardless of what they do. And it doesn't stop when they get older. Right, older parents? You love them forever. And nothing they can do can change that. You may not like decisions and choices that they make, but it doesn't stop your love for them, wanting the best for them. God may not like every decision and choice we make, but it doesn't mean he loves us any less. There's a saying that says, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. In other words, we are free from having to be graded on our performance. And aren't you glad of that? One of my favorite verses, Psalm 103.10 says, he has not punished us for all of our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. (laughs) Hallelujah. God's not waiting up there with a mallet to hit you every time you sin. I'm not constantly worried, well, maybe today I wasn't as good as I should have been, so God doesn't love me today. But I can earn that, I can earn it back tomorrow. Maybe God won't like me as much anymore because I did this. And it may change your situation in life drastically, but it doesn't mean God loves you any less. As human beings, our natural inclination is to perform, right? We're judged on what? How well you do at work, how well you do at school, how well you do in sports, how well you do as a husband or wife. I wrote this question, spouses, do you judge your mate? If so, how do you judge them? By what standard? If my spouse were more like fill in the blank, then they'd be up to my standard all because of what we do. All society tells us that our worth as people is based on how well we do things. Look at pro sports. If you play well, you get paid well, and you become famous for whatever reason. The better we do things, the better we are as people. In other words, the better you do something, the better you work, the better you do things, the more you're worth as a human being. Performance does not take into consideration the attitudes of the heart. It doesn't matter if you're doing your best, if your best isn't good enough. 
There's a saying in business, especially in sales, what have you done for me lately? It's easy to get caught up thinking that God says that about us. Well, what have you done for me today? You are judged on your performance every day. And if you don't measure up, then society says you are a failure as a human being. God values us as human beings regardless of our ability or inability to do anything. There's a movement out there called euthanasia. How many have heard of it? So the other end of the spectrum from the abortion issue. That teaching, that theory is once a person becomes so old that they need help, they're no longer a benefit to society, so let's just take them out of society. That's euthanasia. Why? Why do they do that? Why? Because they're based on how they, what they do, what they can contribute to society. God says, no, they are worth something regardless of what they contribute to society. God says, you are worth something regardless of what you do. God's economy is you are valued as people regardless of your performance. God loves you for who you are, not for what you do or don't do. Paul later goes on and says that we don't have a license to do whatever we want, but knowing that God values us gives you desire to live right. When someone blesses you, don't you want to show your appreciation to them? I said at the beginning of the service, we don't worship this country. It's not God, it's just a country. But we appreciate and we worship God for giving us this country and we appreciate what God's given us. So therefore, we honor God by trying to live up to what the country was founded to do. And when someone blesses you and encourages you and just pours their spirit upon you, don't you want to show your appreciation to them for that? When God says, I love you, and here's what I want you to do, we don't do it because we want to earn God's favor. We do it because we want to show God that we appreciate all he's already done for us. We enjoy God's freedom within God's boundaries. James Dobson did a, a study years ago. They had a, a big playground, big open area playground with kids, and they had all kinds of toys in there. And they had no fence around the playground. It's just open to the sidewalks. And they saw that the kids all played in the center. And then they put a fence up around the playground. And the kids were able to use the, they used the entire playground. The fence gave them security, that nothing was going to get in and harm them. When God puts boundaries up, it's the same thing. We are free to operate in the boundaries God gives us, all of it, but knowing that there are boundaries that we're to stay in and to keep other things out. Parents love their children, and because they do what they do, they set up boundaries for them, right? They can't do whatever they want to do. Well, until they're 18 or so. And we do it not to harm them or upset them, why do we do it? To protect them. Our new house, it's a split entry, so it has a steep set of stairs at the beginning. And for Lincoln and Larkin, the two youngest ones, we tell them to stay away from the stairs. Stay away from the stairs. It's not that we're taking their fun away. We're saying stay away from the stairs because they, you could fall down the stairs. When God says stay away from things, it's not to kill your fun or your joy. It's to prevent you from getting hurt by doing them. 
Kids don't recognize this at first. They think you're the meanest person on the face of the earth. But as they mature, I think they get it. One of our kids gave Anna a a plaque that says, thanks mom, you were right. As we mature as believers, we appreciate God's boundaries. And we realize they're not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. In the USA, we have more freedoms than pretty much any other country. But it doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. We still have laws. And those laws allow us to enjoy the freedom that we have. You know, there's not a lot of crime in North Korea. Very little crime in North Korea. But there's never any, there's no freedom in North Korea either. No one wants to go and live there. No one's crossing the ocean in a boat to get to North Korea. Or China. Or fill in the blank, any other nation. Everyone is coming to this country because we have freedom. But with freedom, there's not only responsibility, but there's, there's more chances to fail. And there's more chances to do things wrong. When you, as your child gets older, you give them the freedom to make their own choices. Sometimes they make good choices and sometimes they don't. But because you're giving them freedom, they learn from those mistakes, they learn from those choices, and they grow. Freedom allows you to have choice. And God gives people choice. You know, the biggest question is why does evil exist? Why do bad things happen to good people? And the, the reason is because God gives people free will. He allows them to make choices. And if you're allowed to make a good choice, you also have to be able to make a bad choice. And sometimes when our kids, when they get a little bit older, we want them to make choices and we have to sit back and grit our teeth because you know the choice they're making isn't right. But you want them to experience the ability to make the choice and if they bomb or they fail, they know not to make that choice again. But they have to do that because they're doing it themselves. God doesn't want us to have to make those choices and then learn from our mistakes. The Bible says plainly what we should do, should do and shouldn't do. And if we follow them, we won't have to suffer the consequences of those choices. And God's law allows us to enjoy his freedom. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to be as good as somebody else. I think the youth are doing a, a series on comparison. We're good at comparing ourselves. Either I'm glad I'm not like that person or I wish I were more like that person. And the thing is, God made you who you are. Everybody wants to be a little bit better. And the Bible says we we can get better. But we don't change. When Paul got saved, he was on fire for God, but he was still the bombastic guy that he was before he got saved. Peter was the guy that was kind of self-conscious and shooting his mouth off before he got saved. After he got saved, same kind of guy. God uses your personality. He tweaks it and becomes more like Christ, but he still uses your personality. John Mark was more timid. 
And he was kind of shy and he didn't do something that Paul asked him to do and Paul kicked him out. But Paul, God still used John Mark. At the end, Paul says, bring, bring Mark back to me. He's still beneficial to me. Why? Because he uses people in their different attitudes and their personalities. He doesn't change who you are. He just changes your desire to serve him. Our freedom from Britain today doesn't change if you're not perfect. Just because you fail at something doesn't mean you're automatically a subject of the queen. Just because you fail at something here doesn't mean you're not a child of the king. You're still a citizen in the U.S. Even if you commit crimes, you're still a citizen. Even if you sin against God as a Christian, you're still a Christian. The Bible says you're to repent of those because we all sin. The Bible says we sin all the time. It's not that we're perfect. It is we recognize when we sin and we ask God to forgive us and we move on from there. There's a saying that says, sin doesn't break relationship, it breaks fellowship. When your kids are mad at you and they go in the door and they slam the door behind you, your relationships, you know, your fellowship's not great, but they're still your kid. The family bond is still there. We live in a free society regardless of your actions. We all enjoy the same freedom in the U.S. through no effort on our part. You don't have to wake up and earn your freedom. You're already free in the U.S. As a Christian, you were automatically approved because of what Jesus did. You wake up in America and you enjoy freedom. You don't have to fight. You don't have to go out and win a war. You've already got it. You are simply a child of God when you wake up and you have freedom in Christ. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to work at it every day. You don't have to work up and say, you know, ah, I could do all these things for God to say I'm good today or for God to love me. You no longer have to be wanting God's approval in order to think he loves you. You're free from not being sure if you've done enough to please God today. Enough, how much is enough? If you try to measure all that you do and say, well, if I do 50 good things for God, then I'm, I'm right with God. Well, what if you don't make 50? How much good is enough for you to think God is pleased with you? Think of your kids at home, especially little kids. You're pleased with them simply because they're there. They didn't do anything. Good or bad, you're pleased with them because they exist. Martin Luther used to physically abuse his body, believing that abuse of his body would give him more favor with God. Asceticism. If I hurt myself, if I deny myself, and I do all these bad things to myself, then God's going to be pleased with me. If I beat myself up over every single thing I've done, then God will be pleased with you. We've mentioned before what the difference is between conviction and condemnation, right? As a Christian, the Bible says when you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. Your conscience is going to say, ah, you shouldn't do that. And at that point, you go to God and confess it. First John 1, 9, he's faithful and just, forgive you your sins. If you feel guilty after that point, that is condemnation from the enemy. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore is no, now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. 
you are free from having to worry about whether God loves you today or not. If you believe in Jesus, you have freedom from sin, you have freedom from judgment, you have freedom from God's condemnation and freedom from your own condemnation. Here's the verse I said, Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Conviction will make you get right with God. Condemnation is the one putting you down for what you did. Here's a, here's a tip. The enemy will trick you into doing something that's sinful. He will make you do it and push you to do it and do it. And as soon as you do it, he's the first one there to, to condemn you for doing it. And verse two says, for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son as a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. Before you're a Christian, you have no, the Bible says you're spiritually dead. You really have no communion with God. That, that part is cut. When you become a Christian, the Bible says that part of you now becomes alive. Brad was doing some work for Enza in her new office, getting her computer hooked up. And it was plugged into the wall, but it still wasn't working into the computer part, the ethernet part, wasn't working. Wondering why that was. Well, because the line from the main server to that was cut or wasn't connected. So even though she's plugged into the wall, she has no internet. Before you're a Christian, you're plugged into something, but you're not plugged into God. You have no communion with God. You cannot connect to God. You are spiritually dead, the Bible says. But when you become a Christian, the Bible says, the switch is turned on and now you have that relationship with God. You're now able to commune with God, you now understand. When you walk away from salvation, you say, you know what, I get it, I get it. The light bulb goes on, you understand what it is. And you are free now to enjoy God's blessings. You're free from having to think you can earn your way. I've done a lot of funerals and ev there's not one funeral that I've ever done that someone doesn't think that that person's in heaven. Not one. Because they, and I ask them, and they'll tell me, well, because he was a good person, or he did these things, or he, and you fill in the blank for whatever good thing he could do. And that's not the measurement. Because there's not enough good we can do. How much, could, how much good can we do? And if you mess up one day, you're out. The truth is you can never do it. You can never do enough to get yourself right with God. The good news is you don't have to. Jesus already did it. He lived the life that you can't and I can't so that we can enjoy the freedom he gives. Revolutionary War, the soldiers sacrificed themselves so we can have a free country. I wish I'd have wrote the, wrote the quote down, that they, the pledge that they took. They gave up their life and their treasures and everything they had in order to make this a country. And they gave up everything. You read the history of these guys after the fact, and they lost a lot to give us a free society. 
Jesus gave up everything so that we can have freedom from having to perform for God and having to think that God does not love me today. And the truth is God loves you every day. No matter what you do. And if you stray, he'll bring you back if you let him. Just like a child, if they start doing something wrong, you want them to come back so you'll correct them, bring them back. God will do that. But the most important part is God needs to know and need to know that he loves you unconditionally. Do you feel that God is not judging you on what you do, but whose you are? Think of your child. They're your child regardless of how they feel about it and even regardless of what they say about it. I wish I had a different parent. Guess what? You don't. Last verse, Ephesians 1.6 says, he made us accepted in the beloved. You're accepted, period. Because of what Jesus did. You're accepted not because of what you do, not because of what you have to do tomorrow, to the next day. God's not gonna love you the next day. God's not gonna love you because of this choice you made. You are accepted. You are God's kid. Our job is just to recognize that and appreciate it. You are free from having to measure up to someone else's standard. It's not my standard. It's not the church's standard. God gave you your standard in here. You do this and you are cool with God. Not because to earn God's favor, but because you already have it. Would you stand as we close this morning? Now, after I pray, I'm going to pray in a moment. But after I pray, as you know, we're heading to Florida this week. Two days driving. Down, two days driving back. But where's Richard at? Dick wants to pray for us for our trip. So we're going to do that after we pray here. So don't at the door. Let's pray. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment. You know, we give this, we call it an altar call at the end of every service. It's a chance to let everyone know they have to make a choice. And just because you attend a church does not mean you are a believer in Christ. So I never want to take it and assume that everyone here is a follower of Christ. You might be, but I never want to assume that. So if you're here this morning, you've never really made yourself right with God. You think you can earn it. And if you do enough good stuff, that God will let you in. If I do 51% good stuff, 49% bad stuff, I'm still going to make it. The Bible says there's no. It's 100% or nothing. And since none of us are perfect, we all fail the Bible says we all fall short of God's expectations. That's why Jesus came. Jesus met God's expectations. He took the sacrifice. He took the punishment that each one of us should have received. And it's by believing that, the Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
then you'll be saved. So you believe it in your heart, and then you confess it, you speak it, that God saved me and God loves me. In fact, he loved you enough to do it before you even came to Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, why you hated God, wanted nothing to do with God, he still died because he loved you. On the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. The people that crucified him, he said, forgive them. None of us have crucified anybody, let alone Jesus. So God wants to forgive you too. But all it requires is your acceptance of the fact that Jesus died in your place. And without him, you have nothing. So if you're here and you want to make that commitment to Christ, you want to really understand what it means to be a Christian, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you. All right, I'm going to assume that we are all committed followers of Christ. And sometimes we get caught up. It's easy to do. And in the feeling that we have to perform for God's love. And we don't. He loves us regardless of our performance. Our performance is based on that love. We know that you love me, Father, so let me live my life to please you. Just like little kids who want to please their parents by doing things. We want to please you by just simply obeying what your word tells us. We want to live for you. We want to show you by our lifestyle that we appreciate what you've already done, what you've already given us. So Lord, as we leave in a few moments, I pray that we'd walk out of here feeling encouraged and blessed that the God of heaven loves me for me. I don't have to be like somebody else. I don't have to be as good as somebody else. I don't have to be the perfect person. Jesus, you love me for me. You didn't make me to be somebody else. You don't want me to be somebody else. You love me for me. And you love each person here for who they are. Doesn't matter what's going on in their life. You love them. Lord, I pray that you'd really let them feel that in their heart when they leave today. That we serve and we love a God who first loved me. So Lord, I commit each person to you. And I pray your continued blessing upon them in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Richard, you're up, buddy.